0: Hello, you are listening to a Wavel Room podcast trailer. I'm James Affay frost editor at the Wavel Room. Peter Roberts and I recently travelled to the Defence Science and Technology Labs to talk to some of their leading scientists about the projects they're working on and what they mean for UK defence. In this trailer, Peter and I discuss our favourite parts of the trip and why we're so excited to bring you this series. We've got six episodes for you to look forward to, Please don't forget to like and subscribe if you want to be the
1: first to hear them. Peter, Frosty, you're a sailor a scientist, walk into Portland down to talk about nerve agents. No, they don't. They definitely don't talk about nerve agents <laughs> or chemical weapons, right? But... It,
0: it is definitely the start of a joke, isn't it? And uh, I felt like, most of the time, probably the least intelligent person in the room. So for everyone's understanding, we, Peter and I have just come back from DSTL, the Defence Science and Technology Labs, to talk to some of their brightest people about a whole range of different subjects, and what we're trying to do is teach the rest of defence
1: about what's going down at DSTL. And it was quite amazing. I mean, I've been to Portland Down before, and as usual, when you go there, you sort of drive into the Wiltshire countryside. You're surrounded by you know beautiful green fields, terrible B roads to get there, you know beautiful trees, landscaped sort of gardens and driveway. It's a very French sort of avenue on the way up and you get to the main gate and then out of nowhere spring up these very strange peculiar buildings right in the middle of nowhere in a sort of little valley uh, with no one around it looks like a sort of i don't know a green mars right with lots of underground structures and strange concrete hangars in the middle of nowhere and some beautiful modern prefab buildings that have been put up and you go through and you walk up past the old, the old buildings, those prefab buildings where they must have done all the sort of biological and chemical experimentation way back in the day. And then you go to a very modern place with excellent coffee and you just meet some exceptional people. Um, and, and you always forget before you arrive there that, that, that all these incredibly bright people get paid very little to go and do amazing work for defence, right?
0: Uh, absolutely. But I mean, to take you back a step, you had been there already, so you didn't make the classic mistake of going to the wrong government department <laughs> and spending 10 <laughs> minutes queuing there to get in, which seems, uh, was reasonably embarrassing, but, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And when you get into that, into those new, but when you finally get to the right building and get into, into that building, they're really proud of their history, I think. It's the first thing you see on the wall as you walk inside, you can understand that the BSTL was an organisation... We've been doing science in the UK for defense for a long time and bringing really interesting things into our army, our
1: navy, and our air force. And we sometimes forget, don't we? I mean, that, that some of those things that we take for granted now were pioneered by DSTL way back in the day, and DSTL's predecessor right, as an organization. But that, that sort of thread of bringing science to the front line not doing almost needless science, but the stuff that comes through the front line, like radar, early warning detection, CBRN monitoring, they have, uh, their foundational sense, they, they were founded on that science that was developed by equally bright people as their predecessors, important down since, you know, for, for what, a couple of hundred years, maybe more? It's a long, long time.
0: Uh, right, so let's get to it. We've, we've been down there, we've met a lot of interesting people, we've got six podcasts, that are going to be released over the coming weeks, looking at six distinct areas, which is really exciting to do. What What was your favourite one that we looked at, Peter?
1: I don't know. So I I am not a great believer in in AI, right? I, I I everyone always talks about AI, and I'm always sort of a little bit. This is never going to deliver what people want, what people think. So I I really enjoyed that conversation on AI, not because. We could be compassive and have an argument right? but but because actually how steve was able to to relate his complete pragmatism and the reality of ai but with what you might see on the front line within a specified time frame now that to me was really important i sort of i really enjoyed that i always love urban warfare right? i love speaking about urban warfare or complex terrain you know as perhaps we should call it but yeah and we've been talking about that for a long time, but that for me was was really fascinating. The human performance for me was great. I don't know about you, but that, I think top three, maybe those are for me. Well, I mean, the good thing about human
0: performance the good thing, the interesting thing is it informs everything, right? Every aspect, and uh, I think Dr, Dr. Martin Jones, we talked to about that, covered that covered that really comprehensively why it's important, why we need to understand it. And also, something that's close to my heart at the minute is you talked about sleep and how important that is. <laughs> which is... Yeah, uh, that's
1: the thing most people relate to, right? Is, yeah. is, you know, and if you understood that, that scientists are looking at things like sleep and rest, but not just so we'd feel better, but because it will improve performance you know, when deployed on operations, and specifically that you just can't take lessons from general science, but it's about For the military not for sports people I I think that's really that's really quite reassuring is that that no one else will do this stuff because you know which university is going to look at how you keep a soldier away so they can go on stag for like another 18 hours and then go off marching with them who looks at that stuff no one's going to pay the university to do it university may not be that interested in it but he's got they genuinely the team at DSTL have a passion for this stuff and and I found that quite incredible to get reassured that they were out there doing their stuff. But very much frontline focus?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that combination of having focus, having operational effectiveness, increasing that operational advantage, but also being unbounded in the way they are to concentrate on the science. And that's something that I think came through with everyone that we interviewed, was there's nowhere else, nowhere else probably in the world, where scientists are given a subject and they're allowed to follow that and see where it goes. Um, the futures episode that we recorded was, was absolutely about that. There is no, there's no end, there's no start to to where the bits of science that they look at go, and that's perfect. Ninety percent of what they do turns out to be, turns out to be disproved or not useful. But there is utility in that, as a, as a good scientific insult. Not even wrong is the worst thing you could be, but showing stuff's wrong, showing stuff's right, that's fantastic. That there's an organisation allowed to do that.
1: And, and to pursue some of these ideas, so you see maybe where we wouldn't go for a variety of reasons, but where an adversary might go, and therefore you've researched it enough to be able to unpick their approach. And you're doing it in a safe space. So you're doing it in a space where you know, you know, A, this is not gonna get out there, or it's not dangerous, or whatever. But you're doing it in a safe space, you understand what they could bring to a fight, which you're not looking at. But going further than that, to understand some of those vulnerabilities that could be there as well. Uh, and to me, that was, that was such important work to be done.
0: Well, that really came across um, with directed energy weapons. So there's a lot of work going into into lasers for, for you and I, but you know, not just looking at how they can be used and you know, how they can be put on platforms or that sort of thing, but also how are we going to protect ourselves against them if our adversaries use those. And it hadn't even occurred to me that that would be something that we would be, the STL would be working on.
1: Um, and the idea—I I love this—you know, four steels that we're going to have around with us, you know, uh, and, and all the other wacky stuff that, that maybe they could maybe won't get into the uh, won't get into the podcast, won't get cleared. But there, there is a there is a, a whole variety of exciting sites down there, but it's executed by genuinely passionate people who are. Incredibly smart, as you pointed out. I mean, you and I were were easily the thickest people within several miles. I'm, of the I am used to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I won't dispute it, right? But honestly, but but the sort of the whole place therefore becomes something of a national treasure. And that for me was, I, I, can't, I hate to keep having to say, I was reassured by it, but I wasn't. I was actually excited by science, which is something I don't normally get. But uh, the, their enthusiasm. You can just feed off it. The way that they're allowed to do it, the way they're allowed to execute it, the way they are enabled to do it, I thought was really quite impressive as well. And the stewardship of some of that science through very unpopular eras really came out too, right? So no one was investing in chemical, biological uh, countermeasures and research in the 90s and 2000s, right? It just didn't happen. DSTL kept doing that in really small, discreet ways with small pots of money to keep the right brains on. And they end up having a bunch of people who can respond brilliantly to things like Ebola or COVID, who can pioneer vaccines and research and decontamination and all the countermeasures that go with it through, through periods in which it just isn't sexy to start looking at that stuff. No one wants to talk about it. You know, the Russia threat at that stage should be considered dead. They just kept those seeds of knowledge alive, and not just that, but they progress them. I found that quite incredible. There's an organisation that sort of held the military conscience up to say, you might not want to think about this, but we need to keep looking at the science.
0: And the willingness to have those difficult conversations with people. Say we were talking about light, slight was it light role, urban battle, a optimised urban force. The difficult conversations that go around that. We have the difficult conversations that go around tracks versus wheels, all that sort of stuff. They they are happy to talk about that and put put the right people in front of in front of the decision makers. You know, we we spoke to the heads of departments, but from what I could tell, they were happy to put you know the the right expert, no matter how low they were or how short the amount of time they've been working at DSTL would be. If they were the right person to get the science, get the thinking across to the to uh,
1: to the warfighter,
0: as they said it, and they put them in front, which, uh, I
1: think that's fantastic. It, it is, It is. you know, the, the right person briefing up the chain, at the right level, at the right, to the right audience at the right time is great, but, but underpinning all that is this sense of scientific independence they have from the MOD, right, so they could go in as a junior researcher who's written a great paper on whatever it is, dismounted, close combat, and they can go to CGS or Commander Field Army and they can brief them and say, you're wrong. And this is the science that backs it up and this is where I'm coming from. And they know that that's not a career-ending move from them, that actually they can sit by the science and actually if someone else wants to make a decision, that's fine, they can do that. But they do it on the basis of sound science and the advice they've had. That for, again, that's just a, it's a real strength to a British approach mm. in that you know, we pay for these guys out of the MOD budget, but there's a sense of scientific independence that allows them, in fact, it guarantees their independence and their freedom of expression and the truth getting through to the right people.
0: It wasn't just hard scientists, or it wasn't just physicists, it wasn't just sports scientists, they have anthropologists, how do you say that? Anthropologists. Anthropologists. Those dudes there, other social scientists there, lawyers, people who talk about work on ethics, make sure that all of these things are brought together in a way that, yeah, we can't just bring technology in without thinking about well, all of the implications of The STL get that, which I think is really useful for the rest of the MAD.
1: Uh, yeah. And certainly we went to one establishment and they have others and I'm sure they do a whole variety of work, most of which we didn't get into. But again, you got the sense when you walked in there that you know you had you had a bunch of wacky conversations happening in, in the in the coffee house, right? And you just like God, if I could just sit down with these guys for a while, they, they were just bleeding off each other and, and learning and getting into, you know, arguments and discussions about various topics that you, know, you felt it was a it was an intellectually alive place. Absolutely. Absolutely
0: right. Now so for so those of us who might those of you listening who might not follow as as Peter and I get excited about talking about our experience, we've got six episodes. We've got an urban episode, AI. Human performance. We've got futures. We've got directed energy weapons, and we've got space—all really exciting, interesting projects. And um, hopefully, we'll get more of those in the future. But one of the things that was really exciting for me was was to be working with Peter on this because yeah, you're famous for your Western Way of War podcasts. You're an excellent interviewer, and of course, you've got your This Means War series that you're doing now on behalf of the wave Room, as well as. Um, a really established. A really established. A fantastic organization. Um, yeah. Really pleased to have you there. And I've, I've learned a lot from you the last well, couple I, of days I, as well. Genuinely,
1: it was a, thanks for inviting me along because it, it was a really great couple of days, which I think we both thoroughly enjoyed. I wasn't sure I was looking forward to it. You know, for me, the idea of looking at science for two days is like, you know, pulling teeth. I just wouldn't have thought I would have enjoyed it. It was daunting. Prime right, idea. yeah, it was, and they were exceptionally bright. Yeah, trying to have long conversation with scientists can be quite difficult. So I was quite pleased there were two of us there. But if they were, they were, they were really, they were really smart people. They dumbed it down enough for us to understand. Uh, and they, I, I came away genuinely enthused, uh, and I found it a really enjoyable two days' fit. So thanks for having me.
0: Thanks very much.
1: If you haven't already, you should be subscribing to This Means War
0: and hear all those episodes that come out pretty much every week everything they can and of course you can find all of our content on room.com thanks all